Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. It is so good to see you here today. We hope and pray that our time together today will be a blessing will be an encouragement to you and a help for you in life. Today's a special day for us. Today is our 16th anniversary as a church. So 16 years ago today, we were running on very little sleep, a very hectic weekend where we weren't sure if we were going to be able to open the doors of our uh, facility that we were feverishly trying to get up to code And the code inspector told us, if you'll have 13 flashlights in the room, then I'll let you open temporarily until you satisfy um, occupancy certification. 13 flashlights. Somebody go buy some flashlights. Yes, yes, we will have 13. We'll have 15 in here. We'll be overachievers. We we didn't have our emergency exit lights installed yet. So that was the... the, uh, compromise that he allowed us to do and so we did that and we opened the doors and God blessed us that morning and he's blessed us immensely every week since and so on a on a week like this leading up to the first weekend of October it's always a week of reflection for me it's always a time where I just kind of consider the stories of our founding and the things that God has done in the years since and how he's worked in our church's life and and I want to just share some of that with you today. Usually I recount a number of those stories and many of you could now tell those stories. Uh, But I want to do something a little different today. I'm going to save the story until the end of the message because I want you to hear from it. And I want to talk to you this morning briefly about a vision to advance the gospel, a vision to advance, a vision that does advance the gospel. You know, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And what the writer of, of, of Proverbs is saying there to us, he's just saying this, that, that it is very detrimental to the very livelihood, the vitality of a people if they have no vision from which they receive life. Like, you can't run on your own forever. That's what he's saying to us. But he's also calling us to a vision. So to understand that vision is essential for gospel advancement is the first thing he is saying. But but the question naturally follows, what vision is he talking about? That prophetic vision, is this, okay, we've got to have a really good idea. Is this something that we've got to bring together so God will be honored and we've got to make sure we get everything as a part of that? Man, that's a, that's a mountain to climb that is formidable and actually impossible. No, what he is saying is that prophetic vision is simply this. It is the revelation of God himself that he has given to us in his word. So what the writer of Proverbs is saying is that the revelation of God is essential for the livelihood and the vitality of God's people. That's the prophetic vision that is declared because of what has been revealed by God. And so God's prophetic vision to advance the gospel is this, that the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of people through his church would go forth. And that's what I want us to just kind of 
take a moment and capture what God has done over the first 16 years and consider what he is doing and where he is leading. I want to remind us today of why it is we exist as a church. Why is it we exist as a church? And then I'll share a testimony that exemplifies that. If you've been around LifePoint very long, you've heard me say it, but I'll say it again today for all of us. LifePoint exists to glorify God by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We exist to glorify God to lead, uh, by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. And, and the one aim by which we intend to do this is simply what Proverbs says, that revelation of God in the person, in the teaching, in the work, in the death, in the resurrection, in the ascension, and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we just simply say it this way, more Jesus. We, we want more Jesus. And we mean that in this way. We want more people to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ by the revelation of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ that God, the one that created us to know him, has sent his own son to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from those sins, and to bring us alive with God through him. We want more Jesus by more people coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you've never come to a point in your life where you've repented of your sins and come to a personal relationship with God, I want you to know we're not going to mince words about it. That's our singular prayer for you today. Of everything else that may have driven you to church to hear from God today, if you don't know him in a personal relationship, God wants a relationship with you. And that's what Jesus tells us. But we also mean more Jesus, not just as a threshold to get into a relationship with God, but for the very livelihood of who we are. We want to see more Jesus in every person every week for all of us who are LifePoint. So we want to see the, the life-giving, transforming power of Jesus Christ through the gospel coming to full fruition every week. And that looks so different in each and every person. That's why when we talk about what does it mean to be part of a covenant community in a church, we talk about what it means to to have a shared responsibility. Because the church has a responsibility to lead and to shepherd people in a certain way, but every individual Christ follower also bears responsibility before God. And together... That responsibility comes so that we might worship, that we might celebrate the Lord Jesus, that we might serve until all reach unity of the faith to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. And the third way that we mean more Jesus is this, not only more people being saved and coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ and every person seeing their life transformed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, but more Jesus penetrating into every dark place that remains in the world so that we can bring hope where hopelessness exists, so we can bring light where darkness remains. And that may mean across the street with your neighbor, Or it may mean on the other side of the world with a people that you couldn't be more unlike and unfamiliar with. But we want the gospel to penetrate into every area. So when we say more Jesus, that's what we mean. And I want to talk 
for just a moment about two key passages that advance the gospel of Jesus Christ through us as a church and really are defining passages for our vision as a church. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. And if you want to turn there, I I would encourage you to do that, either in your Bible or on your uh, mobile device, whatever the case may be, if you have a Bible. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. In, in In that story, here's what's taking place. The religious leaders who claim to have the market on God are confronting Jesus in front of everyone. And they're doing so to try and trap him. You go, wait a minute, should religious leaders be trying to trap Jesus? Yes, because in the scriptures, the Pharisees oppose Jesus. They don't like him. And he's, if you will, taking over their market because they don't have the authority to stop him. And they they are threatened by that. And so one of them stands up and says, "Uh, teacher, rabbi, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt by using the right terminology there. Uh, If you're such a great teacher of God's word, you tell us what is the greatest commandment in all the scriptures. You see, what they're trying to do, the writer tells us, is they're trying to trap him. They're putting him into a corner so when he answers, they can go, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Right? We know that method. That's a common method of argument and debate to divert attention away from the issue at hand. And Jesus says, well, what would you say? What? Well, I ask what you would say. Why are you asking what I would say when I ask what you would say? Because you see, that was clear in the minds of the Jewish people. It was Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And that's what he said. And Jesus said, you know what? You're right about that. You scored correctly. And he said, but the second is like it. And there was a hush that fell over the crowd after a big gasp. And right on on the heels of that gasp, Jesus said this, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Pharisees thought they had the market on loving God. They were perfect in their own righteousness because they couldn't find one law that they had not perfectly fulfilled except to consider other people as equal to themselves in terms of being loved by God. You see, they all thought God loved them more than anybody else. And so when Jesus attaches Leviticus 19.18 to Deuteronomy 6 four, and five, he does something that's never been done before in combining these two laws and making them equal. It's radically revolutionary, friends. And they loathed him for doing it. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's telling us that a true love for God will be most evident in the way we love other people. And our love for other people, if it is genuine and true, will originate and flow out of a love for God. 
And this is where the vision of our church begins. You see, that love for God, to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength teaches us this, that Jesus establishes what we call the great commandment as the first priority for every Christian. This is the one defining purpose in life, to love God with our whole being. When it says all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It's, it's the all-consuming center of our life. This is how we are to love God, not with just a little emotion or not just with a little intellect or not even just with a little volition where we say yes and we go and do for him, but all of those being fused into one. This is the whole of who we are. You see, God created you to glorify him. That's why people in Genesis 1 and 2 are the apex of God's creation. He did something with people he didn't do with any other of creation. He created us in his image because he created us for his glory uniquely. And of course, sin in Genesis 3 comes in and separates us from God and casts us out of his presence. But then the gospel of Jesus Christ, we learn that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And because of the blood of Jesus shed for us that cleanses us from our sin and washes us clean, we're brought back into that relationship with God where we can live a life that glorifies Him. You see, friends, what it is that consumes your affections will always determine your worship. Whatever you set your heart on, Whatever you set in the center of you, you think about all the time, you serve all the time, your affections and adorations are ruminating over all the time. That's what you're worshiping. And Jesus says, he is worthy of that. He centers all of our life when we consume our hearts with him through the gospel. And so the first aspect of LifePoint's vision built on the great commandment is simply this, that Christians are rescued from sin to live as a worshiper of God who, who engage the heart, the center of life, not just the seat of emotions, but the center of our life, who engage our heart to live and walk in a relationship with Jesus so that we might grow in all-consuming love. So any day, any moment, and any time where we see that we've given some measure of affection or adoration to some lesser glory or some false idol, we can repent and turn back to Him and consume the whole of our being with all of who He is. We want every person to live as a worshiper who engages their heart in relationship with Jesus to grow in all-consuming love for God. But that love for God that centers all of life does not only remain within the individual, but what do we say? It extends to others. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. He teaches that the person who loves God with their whole being will love others with their whole life. Love God with your whole being, love others with your whole life. The way we love other people serves as a true measure that reveals our love for God. I mean, even the Jewish Pharisees claimed to love God. They just couldn't stand the minions that were filling the earth around them, right? But their love for God was skewed by meaning less than what God 
had revealed to them. And this love for others, friends, that that reveals our love for God is the whole of the way that a Christian lives. It's not just that we we do little acts to meet others' needs. That's part of it. But, But it's as an extension. It's as an overflow. It is because our lives have been consumed by the love of God, we're overflowing in love to other people and to serve them so that, as the scripture says, when they see our good deeds, They glorify not us, but God. They look at that and they go, only God could do that. That was so simple. And yet I know it didn't only come from you. Why did you do that? Because God loved me. I wanted you to know his love. And so not only are Christians rescued to live as worshipers, but Christians are redeemed to live as servants who engage our hands, the the activity and the doing of our life. They engage our hands to live as the expression of God's love and our new life to show that love to other people by meeting needs, by doing good in the world so that the name of Jesus can go forth. You see, the great commandment reveals for the Christ follower that Jesus saved you to live as a worshiper and a servant for his glory. Now, the second passage of Scripture I want us to look at today is in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is not only, uh, our vision is not only set upon what Jesus says, this is the greatest teaching in all of the Scripture because in it, All of the scriptures are focused and centered. But the last words that he gives to his disciples are important as well. And here's what those words are. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations or all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all these things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You see, not only is the great commandment, the establishment of that revelation of God for our vision that advances the gospel, but the great commission serves in this same way as the defining vision for the mission of the church. Jesus is commissioning his followers by his authority to go and make disciples. So disciple making is not just something Jesus does, it's something his followers do. And and to begin to understand what he's saying here, we have to begin first of all to see who it is he's speaking to. Jesus is talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. You see, becoming a Christian distinctively makes one a disciple of Jesus. And and that word disciple is a word that is developed from the mergence of two words brought together simultaneously. And the, the dual meaning of disciple is first of all learner and second of all follower learner and follower. We learn the truths of God's word and by faith we trust to obey them. And when these come together in our life, it makes us a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why when he gives the commission, he gives it in this way. He says, make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what does baptism do for us? but it identifies us in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Romans chapter 6 teaches us. We identify with him in his death because that by faith was our death. 
And so in his resurrection by faith as well, just as we were buried with him through baptism, so shall we be raised with him to new life. And by faith, we are made new in Jesus Christ. That's our identity. And we're learning what that means. But it also tells us this. Teaching them to observe all these things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, God doesn't expect you to have it all together, right? He's got it all together. He just wants you to sit under his word and take it in and then apply it. Learner, follower, trust him and obey. That's what it means to live as a disciple. You see, Christians are not only rescued to live as worshipers and redeemed to serve the name of Jesus as servants, but listen, we are renewed in our mind by the truth of God's word to live as disciples who are engaging our mind with the truths of the gospel and the word of God to grow in the authenticity of our new identity. We are made new. 2 Corinthians says, the old has gone. The new is here. That's what Jesus does for us. And we follow him as disciple. And our growth in the gospel, this transformation into the new identity or authenticity of our life leads us to share the gospel so others can know Jesus. You see, disciples live for more Jesus to make more Jesus disciples. The very heart of being a Christian is that we live to see more people become Christians. This is not a specialized training for the elite special forces of Christianity. This is the fundamental basic training of all Christianity. A personal relationship with Jesus authorizes every Christian to make more Christ followers. And he sends us with his authority to go and to make more disciples of all people. And that's why we say, not only are we rescued from sin to live as worshipers and redeemed from sin to live as servants in serving him, not only are we renewed in our minds to be able to be transformed by the power of the gospel into what God has said about us more than what sin has tried to make of us, we are also redefined for the very purpose for which we exist. And that is to live as missionaries who engage the feet. And you go, well, that's interesting. Why would we engage the feet? Because Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And Paul picks that up in Romans chapter 10 to echo it yet once again. To remind us of this, we engage our feet because making disciples as missioners is not just about going and doing a simple task like filling up your car with gas so you can continue on, but it's every moment of every day. As God brings people into your life and brings you across the paths of others, there is an impulse in your life that you want to bear a faithful witness that you can plant the seed of the gospel and God could use you in every way and at all times, whether you're in the office or whether you're online or whether you're at the soccer field on a blazing cold fall Saturday morning, wherever you may be, blazing cold. You get that? That doesn't make sense, does it? You know what I was trying to say. Christ followers are redefined to live as missionaries who engage the feet to serve the mission of God's kingdom by sharing the gospel so more people 
will come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Worshiper, servant, disciple, and missioner. That's who God has created and redeemed you to be. And listen, friends, in case it's not clear, because of the great commandment and because of the great commission, this we know. Every person that is saved is sent. Being saved by faith in Jesus Christ is inseparable to being sent by the authority of Jesus Christ that we might declare the glory of God for the salvation of all people to his name alone. We exist to glorify God by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. Now, some of you would say this. You would say, good grief. I've heard this so many times because this same material we've been teaching since before we actually started public services. I've heard this so many times I could teach it. And you know what I want to say to that? Good. When, when can I enlist you to do so? My agenda is so that every person sitting in the room at any given time with life point could finish the sentence that someone else started. That it is so near and dear and clear to us that what God has put us here for would be of no cloudiness nor confusion, but it would be of such a compelling conviction that we would live every moment of every day to see this come about. More than just sharing and teaching it, though, I want us to live to advance it. And that's why I want to introduce Seth and Deb Whittington to you. As Seth and Deb are coming, let me just introduce them for those of you who don't know them. They've been among us for about 10 years now. Uh, and we were, we were talking about this, that this week in, in lieu of that. And, and uh, during that time, God's done a powerful work. They've shared their testimony about just how they had come to Saving Faith, but then also how God had worked some powerful miracles in their lives and in their marriage and in their homes. But today, I'm sharing their testimony with you. We don't have time to cover all of it. But I do want to introduce one aspect of it because it's showing us what the fruit of our labors as a church culminate in. And I'm using this as an example that if that prophetic vision to advance the gospel will continue among a people, God will continue to be faithful to do what God does, to call people to himself and to send us into the world to make more disciples. Seth and Deb, I got your name right this service. Uh, I called them Death Whittington. I combined Seth and Deb first service. Yes. So uh, that, that's their wrestling name. Death Whittington. That's when they're in the ring. That's what they, sorry. Man, um, so for about two years now, God's been calling y'all. He's been doing a work. And I know that came about in a pretty unique way. Uh, but tell us. Deb, tell us about just kind of how the whole call aspect came about between you. Yeah, so um, a few years ago, Seth, um, he got his pilot's license. And so um, he came to me one day, um, and we had kind of been working as a family through stewardship and what that looked like in our homes um, with our kids and with our time and our money. And so he came to me and he said, I feel like God is calling me to steward this license that he's given me. And so um, he's like, not only that, um, but I feel like God is calling me to mission aviation. And I kind of said, no, I don't think he is. Um, <laughs> you know, let's tone it down a few notches. But um, so 
through that um, time in these past two years, we've had um, a lot of counsel and a lot of prayer and just like the Lord's leading and all of that. And we kind of realized that um, mission aviation, um, many missionaries would not get to the field without the possibility of mission aviation. It makes um, the Great Commission possible through this um, thing. And so we've, we've had a lot of prayer, a lot of counsel, and just kind of gotten to that point where we realized that that is um, where God has called us. So, Yeah, so you heard it. She crushed my dream and being able to serve the Lord, right? So what do I do? I look to this guy for affirmation, and he says, if Deb says no, then it's no. He betrayed me. So I began to look for a church I could attend by myself. <laughs> no, that's not true. He did say, he said, listen, he said, a calling is for a family. And so I began to process that. And he said, if you feel like you're called to mission aviation, he said, surely there's somewhere you can get involved. And I did. So there's a mission aviation training organization in Bolivar, Missouri, just up the road. And, and I began to serve there. I, I served on Saturdays. And me and my oldest daughter, Bella, we would go up there and just spend time at the airport. And we, we seen um, what what that organization was doing, we seen what mission aviation was about, and then just it strengthened what I thought God was calling me to do. So through counsel um, and prayer, and just Deb and I wrestling through this, and it took a couple years. It's like I wanted it to happen, right? And then Deb's like, "No, slow down." But she was right, and Lane was right. So so we processed all this, and and then. I began to see the vision of what God had for my calling. And, and I began to really understand what mission aviation meant and what it did just on a very practical level. So because of mission aviation, the logistics that the missionaries that are on the field, they, it takes care of them. So they're able to transport the missionaries, they're able to transport supplies and and um, medical personnel and anything that's just really practical. But then it also, it takes these trips that the missioners go on that may be days or hours and it, and it moves them down to minutes, right? Or just, just maybe a couple hours, right? If it's a days long trip. So, so I really understood what the practical aspect of that. And then through that learning, I learned that because of mission aviation, those barriers for doing those guys' work on the field, they're broken down completely, maybe removed all the way, but they're reduced because of the practical aspect of mission aviation. But this is what I want to share. The thing that God placed on my heart that made me rest the most in what we were doing is this, and it's so powerful. It's because of missionary aviation, isolated, unreached people are no longer isolated. Mm. That'll stick, won't it? It stuck with me, so... I told them, I said, well, I want to hear your presentation. I want to hear your vision. And they began to share. And when he said that, I went, whoa, 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 stop, stop. What did you just say? He said, yes, because of mission aviation, this field of missionary work he's going into, isolated, unreached peoples are no longer isolated and unreachable. I went, light bulb, voila, came on. And I was like, yes, that makes sense. And so we began to, to talk a little more, and I learned a little more about what Mission Aviation Fellowship is, is all about. And, and you may be familiar with the, uh, 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 the Jim and Elizabeth Elliott story. The, they were part of Mission Aviation Fellowship, which is kind of a branch or a, um, a form uh, the, uh, very much akin to what 
uh, the Whittingtons are moving into. And so I didn't realize there was actually a training center in Bolivar, Missouri. And, and Seth had uh, done this research and done this work. And he said, let me tell you about this organization called SOAR. So Seth, tell us about SOAR and some of the unique distinctives about it as a mission organization. But then also tell us what will your role be with them? Yeah, so like I said, SOAR is a mission aviation training facility in Bolivar, and I think it's really just cool that we have something that in, in our local area. And that's cool to me because when I felt like I first had this call, I never felt like I was supposed to go somewhere, right? So that was part of the struggle. So SOAR um, is a training facility that really um, caters to what we would consider the non-traditional student. And, and I and our family would fall into that. We have a family we have careers, right, and then we're redirecting ourselves. And they do it by really one key aspect, and that is training the missionary candidates debt-free. Aviation is amazingly expensive, right? And that was part of the reason that we wanted to steward this gift that we had been given us. Because it was expensive, we knew that God had entrusted us with something that was big. So they train these student pilots debt-free, and they go through an apprenticeship training program, and the cost of the training is really low, and this keeps them out of debt, and they do partnership development while they're in the process. So allowing the students to be debt-free really sends them to the mission field and what statistics show us in half the time. So it, it doesn't allow them to carry any burden of debt into ready to be sent from the mission field. So my part of that, um, I'm going to be a flight instructor for SOAR. Um, and this, this covers the whole gamut of flight for them. So they're academic classes that they need to take to learn the fundamentals of flying an airplane or any just like book study stuff, right? You have to be study the books. You have to study the fundamentals. I'll be able to teach them in that classroom setting. And then after that, I get to teach them practically how to fly an airplane. What does this look like? How do we be excellent in doing what we're doing? And then... I really have this vision, and Soar and I, we've kind of put this together, that we want to be really specific in our training of these missionary pilots. We want to build a really intentional curriculum that sends these guys to the field really prepared because we're sending them faster, right? So we want to send them really prepared. And so all this culminates together as our calling here locally to be missionaries, stay in the community and stay in LifePoint, which is where we love but to live out our calling that God has for our lives. That's exciting. I'm very excited about that. Now, here's what I know. You're going to stay local, but even though in the last year you've begun to make some pretty significant shifts in the rhythms of your life. So, Deb, talk a little bit about some of the changes you've made, some of the changes that are going to be made as you move, because Seth still works for his full-time job now, but is looking in the next few months to transition full-time to his role with SOAR. So talk a little bit about how the family is adjusting and shifting rhythms to get new, used to the new normal. So um, our family, um, as you can see, we're not leaving, um, but the transition for that has been a little bit difficult. Um, we started this in March, which, as you know, COVID hit. So um, it's been an interesting process in all of that logistically. And then on top of that, we're meeting with people probably three to five times a week, um, which is a lot. And so logistically, you know, cleaning house and, you know, making schedules and, and all of that, um, we're trying to build partnerships so that we can get to that point. Um, and then in... Um, we're hoping to be there by January, and so that um, logistically in our home, trying to get kids ready to understand that this is a big thing, and we're changing, and, and all of that, and so it just, just 
schedule-wise, it's, it's a different kind of thing. So That's powerful. Give us uh, two or three ways that we can pray for you. Okay, so I wrote them down because I'm specific. So, um, so in this time, um, we're building partnerships and all of that. And so um, we're just praying that God opens doors um, for us to build more partnerships during this time. And we don't know everyone. And so we're praying that God um, just places those people in our lives. And then um, for our marriage, um, this is a hard season for us. Um, just trying to like love each other and love our kids well. And that's, that's hard in and of itself on a normal basis. So just adding to that, um, this other dynamic. And then um, logistically, we have a surgery in our family coming up this week. And so just be in prayer for that. So. All right. Well, I want you to join me in praying for Seth and Deb. Uh, this is just a powerful testimony. And, and what I want us to walk away with, church, today is this, that when we serve the prophetic vision of God's revelation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we live in that new identity of worshiper, servant, disciple, missioner that he has given us, God uses every one of us in the everyday of our life to bring about calls to very specific activities among us that he's calling us to. I'm praying today that through this testimony, some of you will also begin to wrestle with the call of God that he's placed on your life for the international field. For the local church, maybe to the pastorate or to ministry in some way. But all of us should sense an identity and an ownership and a partnership with them in this. Because they're one of us. And God is using us as a church to send them in this very specific intentional work. And so be praying for Seth and Deb. I I mean, I'll just give you one thing they didn't tell. And I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Uh, They sold their house... So they could move to a more central location so they could go ahead and be debt free. They paid off all of their debt and they live in a rental because they know in the adjustment of all of this, God's going to put them in a place where it's easy for, easiest for them to be able to navigate life between church membership and work and all of those kinds of things. So they've already made some significant commitments of their own life and they're continuing to make those decisions. Let's pray for them. And consider, what's God calling me to? How is God using me in all of this? Incidentally, we also have a couple right now who's on a plane headed for the other side of the world. And they're going to pick up their son in the next couple of days. And they will return in about two weeks with him. I want to pray for them as well because that's a strategic part of the mission of our church. And as God continues to do things like that, let's not make any of them inconsequential, but let's put the glory where it is due, squarely on Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.